Father in the heavens, I ask you with my brothers and sisters here to please pour your spirit upon us. For every element, for every part of this material that is truth, grandfather, that each person affected by it rightfully be tapped on the shoulder and alerted by your spirit to, to receive actionable information and to move forward in, in spirit and truth and grace. If there's anything in here that's out of order, I ask of my brothers and sisters here, please, that you cause it to fall to the ground. Be exalted, O Yah, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. In Yahshua's name always. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So good to see you, friends. I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. May every one of Yahshua's promises be yours in abundance. The title of my remarks today is Your Strange Fire. Not just strange fire, your strange fire. Now, like so many things I've come forth with, I've been working on this for a long time. And there was a pattern for me where it looks like strange fire is something we're all into, every one of us, one way or another. And I intend to convey to you this, this matter of strange fire in a way you'll never forget. As I put the material together, I was especially sensitive to what will be transmitted through the outreach media. It's just people who are not here today, but they'll hear my voice, they'll see the DVD, and I'd like to make it so that uh, they too are benefited by this. They're drawn in. Okay, there's the... Uh, okay. Please excuse me, I'm just activating the... Um, the device which advances the slides. We're going to take a look at strange fire in the scriptures. This is where people offer up, make offerings that are unauthorized. We're also going to look at strange fire in everyday life, that is, in personal relationships. We're going to do comparisons between those two realms. You notice how marriage is the object lesson of salvation. Well, it turns out salvation is also the object lesson of marriage. In these two realms, the spiritual and the natural realm, they do inform each other. We'll do comparisons between strange fire in the scriptures and strange fire in everyday life. We'll put some cautions out there about how to manage these things and even talk about some remedies. You know, it's funny, I already see some of the people looking up, their heads are kind of crooked, wondering, what's Brother Mike getting into? You'll find out. You'll find out. We're going to first talk about the original case of strange fire in the Bible. Now, we who are in restoration ministry, restoring Yahweh's original devotional framework, his original expectations of us, we will often point to this passage in Leviticus 10, verse 1 to 2. And this is a couple of guys going into the, the tabernacle and putting a strange incense offering on the altar of incense. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. Wow, what a sight that must have been. The original case of strange fire in Leviticus 10, 1 to 2 describes incense sacrifices that were unauthorized, unwelcome, and presumptuous. 
And we often cite this, rightfully so, we often cite this as an example of how Yahweh sees it when we come to him with unauthorized sacrifices. Let's keep in mind what it says in Psalm 19.13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Notice the last few words there, the great transgression. Now, there is some uncertainty about what it means here about being kept back from presumptuous sins. It could mean to keep us from presumptuousness in general, which could also lead to great transgression. It could also mean keep me from presumptuous people. As you know, folks have a tendency to influence us. Often we make excuses for our friends. People, places, and things we like will tend to protect them and start to absorb some of their ways. And no matter how you look at it, presumptuous sacrifices are displeasing to Yahweh. We're going to go to another case of strange fire. It's almost, almost the same thing. Uh, in the previous case, they were sons of Aaron, but uh, they went there at the wrong time. But this is a kingly case of strange fire, Uzziah's fall. Now, King Uzziah started out pretty good. You can read about him there in the history books. We'll be drawing from a lesson in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16 to 21. Now, he's established himself as pro-Yahweh. He's like, he's a good guy. But when he, Uzziah, was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against Yahweh his Elohim and went into the temple of Yahweh to burn incense upon the altar of incense. There's that altar of incense again. And Azariah, the priest, went in after him and stood with him fourscore priests of Yahweh that were valiant men. Eighty guys, it's eighty guys versus the king. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto Yahweh, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from Yahweh Elohim. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of Yahweh from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because Yahweh had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death. So we have two cases of this strange fire. The word strange fire is not here, but it's obviously the same thing. Involves a censer, the altar of incense, and this guy was out of line. Eighty guys. That's quite a mob, 80 guys. They must have had a very highly organized worship system to have 20, pardon, to have 80 guys on call like that. So what are the characteristics of the original strange fire? It's, it's the unauthorized burning of incense on the altar of incense. It's a violation of Exodus 30, 8 to 10. I'm going to read here from Exodus 30, starting at verse 8. 
And when Aaron lighteth the lamps, at even he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meal offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto Yahweh. So he's saying this altar of incense, you can only offer certain things on it. You'll be doing it continually, but you're only going to do it at certain times. And once a year, you're going to do the sin sacrifice. I'm going to highlight that stuff for you if um, you're seeing the visual. Perpetual incense before Yahweh. And I highlighted Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year. And look at the last line there in verse 10. It is most holy unto Yahweh. Yeah, in this casual cavalier age we live in, um, are we still capable of saying some things are holy? Are we still capable of saying uh, this is a no-fly zone? Are we able to say that, that some things you just don't mess with? To the right of the slide that I put up, I have an image of the... um, it's, it's a rendering it's a, that was somebody built of the altar of incense. Now, I'm going to give um, credit for this because, uh, well, I have to read it off. I got this from Wikipedia, and then when I tried to download the image, they said you've got to acknowledge the guy who made the picture. But it's by someone who calls himself ORI229. Okay? If you want the link, you can go to the following, HTTPS colon double slash commons.wikipedia.org slash w slash index.php question mark c-u-r-i-d equals 8756128 well it was a great picture and you can see those horn-like projectiles on the corners that's where the high priest puts um, blood from the blood sacrifice on the day of atonement what does that altar of incense represent? It has incense offered perpetually. It receives the blood of atonement on it once a year. Incense carries the prayers of the saints. Look at Revelation 8, verse 3 to 4. We're not going to go there now. But one of the angels in Revelation blends the incense with the prayers of the saints. This is serious stuff. And once a year, the high priest brought that behind the curtain of the most holy place, and he did the, the, the blood atonement ritual. Your strange fire, I'm going to use the term strange fire as a, a metaphor. Even though the term strange fire is not in Deuteronomy 12, which we're going to look at in a minute, the words strange fire are a fitting metaphor for man-made worship. This, is, this has been a long-term problem. We'll read now Deuteronomy 12, verse 29 to 30. When Yahweh the Elohim shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that thou not be snared by following them. After that they may be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their Elohim, saying, Hmm, how did these nations serve their Elohim? Even so will I do likewise. It's kind of funny uh, how this passage anticipates 
the heathen being driven out, defeated, and yet the Israelites would still say, hey, how did they worship? You know, and you would think, well, they lost the wars, you know, why would we want to worship a bunch of deities who lost all these wars? I read somewhere that after World War II, authorities in Japan wanted very much to have religious authorities from America go to Japan and teach them the American religion because they said, hey, your deity is bigger than ours. But evidently, the ancient Israelites had this all backwards. Unauthorized ritual, strange fire, feels good. It feels good. Why would they keep doing it? Offering strange fire, the ritualistic aspect, they probably had some cool music. You know, unauthorized ritual conveys a sense of satisfaction. Feels like, yeah, I've connected. And you'll, that religious feeling it will give you a false sense of approval. And it is justified by the self. It is, it is self-justified. And that's where presumptuousness comes in. This comes from the second oldest religion in the world. I always enjoy talking about this little topic whenever I can. The Bible documents the oldest religion in the world. It's very rich. It's uh, got this prophetic pattern where our great teacher is anticipated in prophecy. To extraordinary detail, his ministry is outlined for us way in advance. But what is the second oldest religion in the world? Well, that's in the Bible, too. It's right there in the book of Genesis, where the serpent tells our mother Eve, go ahead, eat that fruit. You're not going to die. You'll be like Elohim, and you'll know right from wrong. That's the second oldest religion. Will you decide for yourself what's right and wrong? Will you deify yourself? Will you put the self in the middle, in the center? That's the oldest religion in the world. Pardon, the second oldest religion in the world. I would say it's the oldest man-made religion in the world. This is what strange fire is all about. Now we're going to talk about strange fire in relationships. I promised you we're going to talk about that. I'm going to see if you guys can make the connection. I believe you can. This story was told to me by uh, our beloved sister Lucille from Chicago. She told me this many years ago. The case of the antique perfume bottles. There was a traveling woman who put a sweet elderly lady in charge of her home while she was away. And you know the routine. Keep the newspaper off the front porch, collect the mail, turn the lights on and off, live there, make it obvious that it's occupied so burglars don't see a target. Just look after the place. When she returned from her travels, the house, she learned that the housekeeper did her a, quote, favor. She said, I have a nice surprise for you. You know all those perfume bottles you have? I soaked all the labels off of them. All that value, all that treasure, ruined because the original labels were soaked off. Let's stop and think. This is obviously strange fire. Has anybody ever done this to you where they did a favor that was unwelcome, unwanted, unauthorized? Anybody ever done that? Or they did something for you, but they didn't do it your way, 
And they did it in a way where you had to redo it anyway. This was help that was unauthorized, it was unwelcome, and it was presumptuous. Let's try another one. We're going to have several of these. This is a photograph of the mixer board back there and the sound booth behind you. Now, the lights are not on, but this is one of the oldest issues in the realm of uh, congregational management, the, the ministry that manages the sound system, the music and all that. This is the case of the congregational sound system. The sound technicians of any congregation will tell you, stay away from the controls. Now, we've got some good discipline here. Hallelujah. But uh, it took us a while. But there are other places where the soundboard is in a state of chaos. Because there's always people tiptoeing back there, tweaking the controls. And they think they're doing a good thing. Here, let me just juice that a little bit there, that microphone. Let me, let me adjust this for him. And it typically happens when the main technician steps away or his back is turned. Now, I'm going to ask if you can spot the difference. I got two photos here. I tried to align them the same. Do the best you can. We're going to go back and forth. There's two pictures there of the soundboard. There's only one thing changed. How many people can tell it, tell where it is? You don't have to tell me, but how many people can see it? I see like four hands go up, five. Okay. Let's say a good fraction of the assembly sees it. So here it is. Did you get it right? Okay. All I did is take one slider bar and displaced it a good amount. But sometimes people tweak this stuff just a little bit when your back is turned. And it's chaos. Sometimes they tweak it down. Sometimes they tweak it up. Well, people trying to help like that when the main technician's back is turned are offering help that is unauthorized, unwelcome, and presumptuous. Are you starting to get the connection between strange fire in the natural world, in relationships, and strange fire before Yahweh? Unauthorized, unwelcome, presumptuous. Let's go to the strange fire of King Shaul. Now remember, we're looking at passages that don't say the word strange fire. I'm using that biblical term as a metaphor for these unauthorized rituals. Well, so many of us know this story. I'm just adding it to make sure it's complete. 1 Samuel 13, 8 to 10. Samuel, uh, Shaul, also known as King Saul amongst us English-speaking people, he was instructed by Samuel to wait seven days. And he says, then I'll show up and we'll do sacrifice. And he, Shaul, tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring here a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. I'm jumping to verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of Yahweh the Elohim. So he was given explicit instructions. And then he presumed to do these sacrifices himself. He had his excuses and all that. But you know, he was told because of this, his kingdom would not stand. He did something else later on, which completely annihilated his hopes of being a, a long-standing king. But this business of presumptuousness was, uh, was like a problem of his. 
the strange fire of King Shaul, sacrifice that was unauthorized, unwelcome, and presumptuous. Oh, this one, uh, I still get a laugh out of this one. The Case of the Helpful Garbage Neighbor. Okay, there's a book I finished, and I didn't want to keep it around. There was some stuff in there I, I wasn't comfortable having in the home. It was a biography. And I placed it in the trash bin next to my garage. But I decided one night that I would retrieve the book the next morning to check something. There's one thing I wanted to check. So I thought, I'll get it in the morning. And that happened to be the Friday morning for garbage pickup. That's okay. I'll, I'll get it even if I miss the garbage bin. When I get up, I'll check that thing in the book and throw it in the garbage bin. The next morning, my trash bin had been moved to the street and it was emptied. So somewhere in that garbage truck there was my book. And so I had, there was a, a lady lived next to me in, last year and... Um, she was a single lady. Her daddy came around a lot and helped around the house. And he was, a, he was a good guy, you know, nice guy to talk to. And I saw him with my garbage bucket way out there in the street. He says, oh, he says, I'll put your bin out for you. i put your garbage bin out for you. And I, I said, well, I says, you didn't know this, but I was going to retrieve something from there before putting it out. And um, I was trying to be nice about it, but... It was an unwanted favor. I would call that strange fire. The case of the eager beaver, me. I worked in the CB radio design group at Motorola. Now, I didn't make that radio there. That's our granddaddy design, the MoCat Citizens Band radio. All designs were derived from that. And uh, I, I was wrapping up a project handed to me and then a new project was announced, and I presumed to be assigned to it. And I was later warned not to ever do that again. I just presumed that I was going to work on that project. And uh, it's funny, I always got good reviews and work, but I was too much of an eager beaver. In the case of that, the work was unauthorized, unwelcome, and presumptuous. I will return to this later. We're going to look at Jeremiah. 7, verse 17 and 19. And Yahweh was talking to Jeremiah, and he says, Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other Elohim, that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith Yahweh? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? Could we justify this, friends? on the basis of it being a family event, quote, for the children. You start out with the children gathering wood, fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead the dough. So it's kind of a family affair, and it feels good. It's self-reinforcing. Now, I won't be dwelling on these themes. We're going to transition to some really practical stuff. But here's the strange case of Halloween. The Celtics had a night of celebration called Samhain in which dead souls were invited to revisit the family. The celebration lasted two days, October 31st to November 1st. Catholic tradition allowed the merging of Christian and pagan festivals. The cascade of Christian celebration is thus, October 31st at night, Halloween, then November 1st, All Saints Day, and November 2nd, All Souls Day. I learned a lot of great disciplines when I was a Catholic, all right? 
But this, this did seem odd as a child. I'd go trick-or-treating on one night, and the next day it was All Saints Day. It was a day off. We could trick-or-treat until midnight if we wanted as children. And later on, they added All Souls Day. All Saints Day was a celebration of all the saints who had gone to heaven in their tradition. And All Souls Day was the day you prayed for those who were unsaved. And I was busy lighting candles and things. Those of you who know me well know that I, I love it, linguistics. And it's interesting to see where the word Halloween came from. It starts with All Saints Day, November 1st. Well, that's actually called All, All Hallow Day or All Hallows Day. You see, the word saint also means holy one. And in Old English, it was the word hallow. A hallow was a saint. So that day was called All Hallow Day. And so the night before, it is called All Hallows Evening. So the development goes like this. Hallow Even, Hallow Ian, Halloween. Yeah, so what do you call a hot dog bun with no meat in it? Halloween-y. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Well, it's getting kind of serious. I'd probably throw a little humor in there. I really don't want to dwell on this stuff. In fact, I've decided I'm only going to put one image in there. I mean, what does that stuff have to do with the holiness of Yah's saints? Now, you guys know in the scriptures, we're saints now. That doesn't mean when we die, people pray to us. But we're set apart for Yahweh now. And some of these things are just so foreign to the spirit of truth. I'm only going to spend a little more time on this speaking to modern practices. I remember, I have to be mindful of those who are watching in the outreach media and getting acquainted with us for the first time. I'm telling you, there's nothing like the Feast of Tabernacles. There's nothing like it. And uh, we've got to the point now where the, the days of unleavened bread, when we celebrate Yahshua's sacrifice and uh, his ministry to us, uh, those gatherings have become very sweet and special times for us. Well, but we do have these man-made things. They feel good. Uh, they've been justified as good for the children. Certainly Halloween has fallen to the spirit of truth on many levels. We delight in Yahshua's first coming. But we find no command for observing Christmas in the Bible, and its customs are derived from objectionable places. We commemorate Yahshua's resurrection on the day of the wave sheaf offering. Funny thing about that wave sheaf offering, it's so fascinating. Very few people know what's happening. The priest kind of goes about his business. He gets that first wave of barley. He goes into the tent of meeting and he waves it before Yahweh. And only a few people know what's going on that morning. But uh, we know that um, in Yahshua's resurrection, um, very few people knew about it first on. It was not like there was an audience waiting with their drinks and popcorn waiting to see him rise. He rose from the dead, uh, and then he presented himself to his father that morning, as we know, much like the wave sheaf offering. But we find no command for observing Easter in the Bible, and its customs are also derived from objectionable places. All people consider Mary blessed. Luke 1, verse 20... Uh, Pardon, Luke 1, verse 48 says that. All nations will call me blessed. But it's no reason to worship her. 
I think Mary had a tough job. I think all parents have a tough job. Uh, but there's no reason to worship her. Yet these practices continue. Uh, from, my Christ- from my Catholic experience, there was a lot of excitement when we got a new statue of Mary in the classroom. And I look back and I shake my head on that. When it comes to strange fire with people in our space, let's be nice. Excuse me. <coughs> Please be nice. When people in our personal space offer us strange fire, we still must be loving and kind. Often these people do not know any better. They usually, though not always, they usually operate from good motives, a spirit of goodwill. Sometimes a little forward coaching will do the trick. Well, you say, listen, in the future, I want you to do B before A. Or you might have to say, hey, in the future, I want you to leave that to me. Some you got to do that. Sometimes it's best to be quiet. Here's a lesson in love. Uh, I've told this story to my friends many times. Let's see if I can get away with it here. When I lived back in Pennsylvania, Myerstown, Pennsylvania, I had a home there, and I, my mom lived with me. And my dear mom cleaned my bathroom while I was at work one day. What you see there in the upper right-hand area is a uh, contact lens uh, carrier, a holder for contact lenses. You fill it with fluid, you let your contact lenses sit in there and, so they can stay clean and germ-free. <clears throat> well, my mom cleaned my bathroom while I was at work one day. And when I got back from work, she also advised me that she cleaned out my contact lens storage device. Uh, she didn't know that I had wore my standard glasses that day and that the contact lenses were swimming around in that container. I never uttered a word to her about the lenses that she had washed away because they're contact lenses. They're translucent. You can't see them. So uh, right now while we're talking, while we're fellowshipping here, there's a home on Bainey Avenue in Myerstown, Pennsylvania, And somewhere in the septic tank back there, we have two contact lenses that that I lost. In the course of my life, there's plenty of other bad news to break to mom and other people. But it was unnecessary that I cause mom any grief on this. And she, she went to her grave not knowing what she had done. But it was an immediate lesson in love. I stood there. This was back in the 1980s. And I wasn't too smart back then dumb about a lot of things, but I figured this one out, that it's not worth it to to aggravate mom saying, you threw out my contact lenses. No, no, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. By the way, um, this this wasn't the last day I wore contact lenses. The day before was the last day I wore contact lenses. (laughs) But it's a lesson in love. Yeah, it was strange fire. Mom thought she was doing a good thing. Let's talk about the case of the laundry shirts. See, these little things, these little episodes show up in our lives, and um, they'll, they'll be like a, like a surprise to us. They'll throw us back. So I didn't expect that. How do I work around this? This is a case where I'm tiptoeing around. Now, there's a laundromat in Fulton, Missouri, where if I don't pick up my laundry from the dryer in a timely manner, there's a good chance someone on the staff will remove it for me. They might even fold it for me, and they're kind of expecting me to tip them. That's what happens if you're busy and you run errands while the laundry's drying. 
Now, you probably can't see it too well, so I made a slide with a close-up of the shirts. I still don't know if you can see it. Let me turn around. Yeah, the, the shirt on the left has the, only the top button buttoned. That's just enough to keep it on the hanger. The shirt on the far right has all the buttons buttoned. I'm just trying to show, illustrate. <coughs> a typical shirt has several buttons, one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe more buttons. Now listen, there's some rich guys who want all their buttons buttoned and they want it all hung on hangers just right to avoid all wrinkles. Some fussy rich guys are like that, but not me. I gotta grab it and go, you know? So I just do the top button. Well, there's a sweet young girl at the laundromat. She's the granddaughter of one of the managers who, um, uh, I managed to connect with the manager and this, this granddaughter. Everybody likes a kid like this. She's maybe 12 years old. She engages the customer, she takes care of problems, keeps the place clean. She just loves going to grandma's laundromat when she's in town. Well, this one aggressive lady presumed to button all the buttons on my shirt. Thank you, brother, bringing me water like that. This girl presumed to button all the buttons for me before I could get there. And this was a jumbo laundry order. I thought, what do I do? You know, I don't want this to ever happen again. So in this case, I tiptoed around it. I'm not going to tell you her name, of course, but I said, you did such a fine job of getting that out of the dryer for me and folding it, but I can't have all those buttons buttoned. Do you understand to put the shirt on, I have to undo every one of those? And, you know, her eyes rolled around in her head as she realized. Now, what happened in a case like that is she was doing something that she thought had to be done. She was projecting her vision onto my shirts. And I asked her not to do that ever again. I still showed her gratitude. I still tipped her, okay? But um, that is really a nuisance. I, listen, if, if you're ever in business for yourself like I am, every minute counts. You know, one of the reasons Steve Jobs always wore the same thing is he said that he didn't have time. What did he say? I don't, it was one less decision I had to make every morning. So he wore the same kind of outfit every day. And when you're in a high compression like I am sometimes, you don't have time to fool with all those buttons on every shirt. So it was strange fire, but um, the point is, there's going to be a lot of situations where you have to handle it nice. Some of these situations are very annoying, and you've got you to gotta tap the brake and say, wait a minute, no, no, you can't do that. You just can't do that. When people in our space offer us strange fire, we still must be loving and kind. Often these people do not know any better. They usually, though not always, operate from good motives. Sometimes a little forward coaching will do the trick, and sometimes it's best to be quiet. Huh? So you, I'm just going to let this one go. Respond by considering the relationship you want to have and the importance of what they did. It's not on the view grass, but there's a, an episode of Leave it to Beaver. How many people don't know what Leave it to Beaver is? How many people don't know what Leave it to Beaver is? Well, Hannah, we're going to have to arrange for you to see some of those. It's a, it's a TV show, just a clean-cut American family dealing with day-to-day -day intrigue. But uh, Beaver was this really young boy who was always getting into trouble without causing trouble. All right? And... Um, in this case, he bought a ridiculous shirt for his mom, an absolutely ridiculous shirt. And mom said, yeah, I'll wear it, you know. And 
Well, she didn't wear it, and their pads crossed later in the day. She thought he would be at school, but there was some kind of field trip or something. And the mom was embarrassed because she promised she'd wear this crazy shirt, and his feelings were hurt. Yeah, these situations have to be handled with uh, diplomacy and kindness. Um, but sometimes we have to put our foot down and say, no, we, we can't have this anymore. There's the case of the squeegee brigade. These are the guys who come up to your windshield and they squirt some water on there. And they got a 20-year-old squeegee. They try to wash your window and squeegee the water off. We are, and this, we are just not accustomed to having strangers walk up to our cars and wash the windows when we're at the red light. If you live in the country, you don't see this. The first time I saw it, it was around nearby New York City. And this is unauthorized. It's unwelcome. It's presumptuous. Now, we can make a case for being nice to these guys. But in this age, caution is understandable. I don't like, like if I had a wife or a daughter, I would not be comfortable with a stranger approaching the car. And who knows what um, unspeakable things he washed off of the previous windshield before bring, dropping that squeegee on your windshield. Hmm? Yeah, the, this is another kind of strange fire. Now, we're going to go back to the Bible, the story of Uzzah. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 6 to 8, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant from a house that harbored it for a while. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be carried on poles like royalty. But they saw the Ark of the Covenant come back into the land of Israel on a cart drawn by oxen. And that was something slapped together by the Philistines. Now, this is kind of symbolic of what we see in the world of religion. We say, hmm, that guy over there got away with what he did. Maybe we can do it too. The Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel on an ox cart pulled by two cows who were providing milk. So their instincts would be contrary to them leaving the Philistine land and going into Israel. And that was the deal. They said, look, if um, we get a couple of milk kind to pull this cart and it, they go into the land of Israel, we'll know that their Elohim wanted it back. So these Israelites see this. They go, oh, I guess it's okay to have the ark on an ox cart. The Philistines did it. We can too. So when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of Elohim and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and Elohim smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of Elohim. And David was displeased because Yahweh had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah this day. To this day. And uh, it's, this is a very hard story to accept. One of the versions says that David was angry at Yahweh because he reigned on his parade, bringing this Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Then David started to do some digging, and he found out, whoa, these guys that put this thing together, they were not Levites, they weren't Aaronic priests, and we should have been carrying out poles, like the Torah says. The scriptures say, in the scriptures, Yahweh says, my people are dying for lack of knowledge. 
One of the reasons we, we must be humble when we talk about strange fire is, because, is that we don't know what strange fire we might be into. So on one hand, if you're in restoration ministry, you have to talk about what's right, but you still have to be humble, loving, kind, and cautious because you never know what strange fire you have going on. Nevertheless, you cannot give up. You can't quit. I didn't have this in the notes, but I remember meeting an elder in a congregation I was involved with many years ago. Now, they're, they're not running anymore. But the only reason they made him an elder is because his wife was in music ministry. And they thought, well, you've got to be ordained too. But he told me something that still bothers me to this day. He said, the re- I don't like reading the Bible, he said, because then I have to take action on it. He can't be that way. We should be willing to read this book and have it conform our, our, our lives to it. <coughs> that whole scene with the new ox cart and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, was unauthorized, unwelcome, and presumptuous. So if you're worried about if you're worried about things you don't know, humility is the answer. He gives grace to the humble. And so with all this going on, all these stories, mixing practical and spiritual, there still is the call to humility. I'd like you to see Numbers uh, 4.15. It just said that, uh, I, I'm not going to go there, but if you're taking notes, Numbers 4. Verse 15 has rules in there to make sure nobody touches the Ark of the Covenant, lest they die. Azan Ahio, they were just a couple of guys. They had not even read those scriptures. Or if they did, they didn't take them to heart. How do we avoid strange fire in relationships? Well, there's a common theme here in the stories I've told you. To avoid strange fire in your relationships. In other words, if you want to avoid aggravating people, avoid actions that operate in other people's space without their permission. Think back, the perfume bottles. The lady who was the housekeeper, those weren't her perfume bottles. My garbage bucket, that was my garbage bucket. (laughs) Somebody got on my property and moved my garbage bucket out. The boss's rulership over my work time. I sell my time to my employer. They tell me what to do, not me. And there's that fine young lady at the laundromat in my shirts. In every one of these cases, someone's entering my space and touching my things. The squeegee guy slapping his dirty doodad on my car windshield. And yes, even my dear mom cleaning my bathroom. She went into my bathroom and started arranging things. So I won't condemn any of these people. I'll kick myself for uh, presuming to work on a project that I was not assigned to. But I'm not going to condemn any of these people, but the pattern's there to go into someone else's space and lay my hands on their stuff. Avoiding strange fire in worship. We should avoid unauthorized actions that operate in Yahweh's space. Rituals borrowed from the heathen, Jeremiah 10.2. Thus saith Yahweh, learn not the way of the heathen. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
Then there's worship music foreign to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of Elohim, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I have to think, at one time or another, everybody here has heard worship music that grieved the Holy Spirit within them. One of the things I watch for is if it's too loud, or if I can't understand the words. The, script, the, the great apostle Paul told us that we are to teach one another with hymns and spirituals and psalms. So how can the instructive message go through if I can't understand the words? And of course we have to be reverent in what we call him. In Psalm 16.4, their sorrows, sorry, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names until my lips. So we're very, very careful and cautious about what we call the Almighty here. We're in Yahweh's space. I'm going to cover more cases in a minute. But the two realms are speaking to each other. When someone approaches you, you expect them to behave themselves with comportment, to be respectful, to honor who you are. If it's in an official capacity, you want them to respect your station in life. If you're married, you don't want them getting familiar with your wife. Um, if you're a boss, you want them to show respect to you. Hmm? There are more cases. I decided to just bullet-eyed at them rather than create um, picturesque slides. Here's some cases. Mom rules the kitchen. <clears throat> That's mom's domain. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a, this is a, I've seen this so many times. Do kitchen chores her way or get out. You know, you don't go in there and say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do this or that. I'll clean the oven for you. There you go. I'll clean the oven for you. And you just make a bigger mess. That, now, if she asks you to do the dirty oven, that's another matter. But mom rules the kitchen. That's her space. That's her area of sovereignty. Life flows out of the kitchen. Fellowship flows out of the kitchen. She takes joy and pride in managing that. By the way, there's times I've uh, visited the, uh, the worlds, and I want you to know, when I go into the kitchen, I tiptoe around. I, I don't, to me, that's a sanctuary. I'll tell you when I learned this, what really hit home is when I had done, um, there are times we had fellowship gatherings that were small to medium size, and I, I had cooked Chinese, and I didn't like it when people were going in the kitchen while I'm working in there, you know? And because um, I had this hot pan and I didn't want to start a fire. But these are areas where we could be sensitive to other people's space. Of course you have to be proactive at work in your allotted tasks. But don't encroach on other people's jobs. And that's actually what I was doing when I assigned myself to this cool new project that had come up. You should be very careful on the job. You don't step on other people's space. Now, there is some wisdom in going to the boss and saying, hey, there's an area of activity that's not covered here. I think I can handle it. Is that okay? You know, it might help if you do a little homework to give evidence that you can handle this area that's got to be taken care of. I gravitate towards dirty jobs that nobody wants. Because when you collect dirty jobs under your umbrella, when it's layoff time, they leave you alone. 
I can count on that guy. Unsolicited help can be harmful. As a child, I remember seeing on television a public service announcement showing a guy in a wheelchair at, a, at an intersection. He was wheeling himself across, and another pedestrian reached over to help push him. And you know, some of these visuals are so instructive, so powerful, these visual um, media. And it said, don't presume that somebody in a wheelchair wants your help. Unsolicited help can be harmful. Um, if you help the butterfly emerge, he won't be able to fly. I verified that before coming here. This business of helping a butterfly get out of the cocoon, there's actually a transfer of um, fluids and a buildup of muscle that occurs as he's working his way out of that cocoon. It appears to be part of Yahweh's design that hardship and uh, sometimes pain and challenges make us better and stronger. Teens, you teens, I just love telling teens how to get on the good side of their parents because these tricks work for me. I wrote an article many years ago. I wonder if we could resurrect it. It was called How to Wrap Your Parents Around Your Finger. And they published it in, in one of the uh, magazines. The, the, the key is to do what your parents tell you and to do a little extra. Find creative ways to go a little farther. One day you'll be borrowing the keys to the car. You bring back the car in good shape. Make sure it's cleaned up and all that. But do it in a way that fulfill mom and dad's choices for car care. For example, um, suppose they want to put a certain kind of gasoline in there, and then you put in racing gas, okay, high-octane racing gas. You might damage the engine. If you take it to a car wash, maybe your parents don't want the car washed with the brushes and the cloths. You know, you have to, so before you borrow the car, study what mom and dad do with that car so that when it's your turn to drive it, you know just what to do. Where do they go for gas? How do they wash it? All that stuff. Do it their way. Now, on the other hand of all this strange fire talk, there are situations where you have to learn to discern when to step up without being asked. There are emergencies where you have to step up without being asked. And you have these golden rule situations. Really now, the good Samaritan, you know, he didn't need permission for that. He knew what to do. I mentioned the wheelchair case before, but there was a wheelchair case where somebody had to step up. I was on a business trip, and um, an engineer I was really fond of, uh, we were waiting on the plane on the, what do you call it, the jetty, that walkway, and the guy right in front of us had a handicapped son. And he was really struggling to get the boy out of the wheelchair and pull him through the door. I forget the details. It's been a long time. But it was obvious that this guy couldn't do it alone. And he kept trying. He kept trying. I'm thinking of that video I saw as a kid. Don't offer help. You know, they, they usually want to take care of it themselves. And this guy was getting to the threshold where it was obvious he couldn't do everything with one movement like he had to. And uh, that engineer friend of mine said golden words. He said, here, let me give you a hand. And by the way, he was a mechanical engineer, so he knew what to do with that wheelchair real quick. There are times when you have to step up. So with all this talk of strange fire, let's not use it as an engine for running from responsibility. You're going to make mistakes. 
And there are times people are going to make mistakes with us, and we're going to make mistakes with them. But here's one I'm really big on, and that is to learn the five love languages. We're almost done, by the way. I've been really big on this book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. I know with certainty if my parents had known about this, they would have stayed together because they really did care about each other. They just didn't know how to get along. And this book is a, it's just great for getting along. It's a way of assessing the needs of people in your life. Now, the focus is on marriage, but it's a great template for all relationships. I'm going to give you two failure scenarios you could avoid if you were sensitive to these things. Men, if your wife craves affection and you fail to deliver, she will consider your lavish gifts to be strange fire. Now, I know some gals want lots of jewelry, all right? I don't know why, but some gals want that. But if your wife wants affection instead and you're dumping all these jewels on her, she will consider your jewelry or gifts or whatever it is, she's going to consider it strange fire. Yes, I have seen this. She'll come to disdain you because you're not meeting her basic needs. And ladies, if your husband craves respect and you fail to deliver, your acts of love will be as strange fire. Your husband will be puzzled. Why is she always putting her arms around me and you know, trying to feed me foods? And, you know, but she doesn't, she doesn't respect me. She gives me a hard time when I make a tough decision. Well, this book on the five languages, the five love languages, helps decode all this and gives you a, a framework through which to interpret each other's needs. Hey, by the way, if you figured each other out, uh, <clears throat> uh, hallelujah, maybe you don't need a book like this. Let's uh, wrap this up now. Strange Fire, Forbidden by Yahweh, covers both proactive commands, where he says, do it this way, and it also opposes presumptuous attempts to have it your way. But we also, as, as people, have boundaries and expectations when people wish to relate to us. Yahweh is no different. When we operate in Yah's space or our neighbor's space, we must follow their rules. I'm going to close by considering Moses. I really enjoy telling this story all I can because it explains a lot. Have you ever wondered what's going on in the world of religion? You have people operating outside of Yah's will. People are still blessed. Hmm? I think it's Isaiah 55 that says, Yahweh's word is blessed. It gives good fruit wherever it goes. Well, that's one explanation. To the extent that Yahweh's laws are applied in people's lives, they are blessed there. And I like it that way. But let's talk about this thing with Moses, because his story was given as an example to us. The Israelites needed water on one occasion, and he was told to smite a rock. And he did that. He struck it, and water came out. And we know where that rock is now, over there in Arabia. We've got lots of pictures of it. But there was another occasion, and it appeared to be a different rock. He was told, don't, he was, told, he was not told to strike it, he was told to speak over it. And we find later he was supposed to glorify Yahweh before the water would come out. Instead, he stood there with Aaron, and he said, Oh, you rebellious Israelites, shall we draw water out for you? Now, the story says he struck the rock twice, and he did. I'm not contradicting that. 
But observant Bible students will tell you, he didn't hit it like this. What actually happened is he hit it once, and nothing happened. So he hit it again, and then the water came out. And at that point, Yahweh gave in. At that point, Yahweh let the people have the blessings they needed. But then he tapped Moses on the shoulder, took him aside, and said, because of this stunt you pulled, you were supposed to glorify me. Because of what you did, you will not go into the promised land. So what happened, friends, is Moses did Yahweh's work Moses' way. Not Yahweh's way. He did Yahweh's work Moses' way. The people still got blessed. But Moses got a good spanking. And he begged Yahweh, please, please, I want to go to the promised land, please, please. And one day Yahweh finally said to him, enough of this. I don't want to hear any more about it. Have you ever done that with your children? Begging you to relent on a punishment? You said, no, not this time. You've gone too far. So Yahweh is still looking after his people. And there's a special burden, a special weight on the leaders to get this stuff right. For those of you who are listening in the outreach, I, 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 I certainly hope that uh, you've heard some practical applications. But there is a way Yahweh wants you to approach him. And maybe I haven't said enough about humility. I've kind of focused on the devotional framework. Certainly the feast days and things like that come into play. But I beg you for your sake, strive to do things his way because it's always best. It's always best. I want to thank you for your kind attention. Brother Jose, could you come forward now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.